Now, I remember um, the first time I became a dad. The very first time I became a dad, this is the first time I heard that I'll be a dad. So my wife hadn't delivered yet. Uh, this is her now telling me that we would be parents for the first time. So before she told me that we'll be parents for the first time, what I was doing basically was just kind of like thinking, you know, maybe we should do a, a, a trip around the world or uh, we, should, we should buy an Audi TT, you know, that nice sports car. Like I was looking at it thinking, man, I can see me now driving this thing. Um, I was thinking about all these fun things that I would do. We didn't have a, lo a lot of money at the time. Uh, we're just basically getting a little above minim minimum wage. We were renting a um, basement suite. So we're trying to put up uh, coins together, trying to see, can we afford a house in the market at the time, and so on. So my wife comes and says, hey, Ezra, guess what, what? And then she shows me this pregnancy test thing, and I'm like, wow, and oh my word. <laughs> I'll be a dad. But then all these thoughts began running through my mind. Will, will I be a good dad? Will we have enough money? Will I be able to afford college for my, for my, for my child? We didn't know whether it was a boy or a girl. It was still very young and very, um, very, young, very early in our pregnancy. So we're kind of like, okay, uh, what will life look like? Will we be able to fit in our little basement suite? So in other words, at that very moment, I realized that I was now living in between the times. I was a parent, but not yet. So now I could no longer indulge my, my joys and my fantasies of, A, you know, buying this sports car or wanting to buy this stereo system and the big speakers in my vehicle. I could indulge in all of those things. Why? Because I was thinking, now it's no longer a sports car that looked nice to me. It was now a minivan. That really looked good. Because little kids come with a whole world. If you're a parent, you know this. So I realized that I was living in between, in between times. I no longer can indulge my, my joys and the things I wanted. I'm not a parent yet. I'm right in the middle here. You see, this is... This is the passage we're going to look at today, where Paul is reminding us that, hey, you know what? You're living in this in-between period. Christ has saved you. Salvation guaranteed. You have now realized that Jesus is who he says he is. You've believed the gospel. You've given your heart to Jesus. You're now a Christian. But you still live in this world, and there's still all this sin that is fighting for the affections of your heart. And yet you also know that Jesus is coming back again one day. So you're not quite done with the world here yet. Jesus is not, has not come back yet. You're in this middle world. So how do we live in this in-between period? That's what we'll be talking about today. So look at it in three uh, sections here. The first is wake up. Paul will tell us to wake up. He'll tell us to smarten up. And then he'll tell us to dress up. So wake up, smarten up, and dress up. I will read the text, and then we'll unpack it together. So Romans 13, verse 11 and following, it says this. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber. 
because your salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. So the first thing we want to look at here is wake up. And in particular, if you have a Bible, you want now to focus on verse 11 in particular, where Paul is saying, and do this, understanding the present time. So in other words, what is this and do this? What is the this that he's talking about here? See, he has already talked to us in chapter 13 last week. Hey, love your neighbor. Do not, don't owe anyone anything except the debt of love. So you want to love people, be, be charitable toward people. So do that, love, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber. What is that? You're slumbering, you're sleeping. Wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer. What is salvation? By that he means the return of Jesus Christ is nearer now than when you first believed. So I want to give you an example. So let's say you had an American friend of yours who's expecting a, his first child. And this American friend of yours, his name is Jeff Bucknam. <laughs> so this American friend of yours, um, it's November now and his wife comes. Hey, you know, we're expecting our first child. And he gets all excited. And then you hear news from the grapevine. Hey, you know, your buddy Jeff is going to have his first child. So you're so excited, you run into him at Starbucks. Hey, buddy, so good to see you. Congratulations. You'll be a dad for the first time. You say, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But hey, you know what? I am planning, Jeff goes on, I'm planning to do this uh, uh, tour around the world. You know, I am thinking about going to Africa first, and I want to start in Egypt, and I want to see the Nile, the delta of the Nile. You know, I want to see the pyramids, and then maybe I can just go down the Nile and float down all the way to Uganda and see all these things. And then maybe I might take a bus and go to Zambia, where I will now just kind of float on the Zambezi River. And man, I'm, I want to see the Victoria Falls, you know, in Zambia. And then from there, I'm planning to go to Madagascar. And in Madagascar, I will see this little funny, weird animal called the Mosa. You know, I'll see. So you're looking at him thinking, okay, so am I missing something? So you'll ask, okay, so Jeff, how long do you intend to go? Oh, I'm going for a year. You're going for, like, when? January 1. For a year, yes. But Jeff, your wife is expecting, yeah, 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 it will take care of itself. But man, Ezra, you, you just wait. Like, you, you, you won't believe the things I have learned about Madagascar. Like, man, four of every five organisms that you'll find in the, in the jungles there, you can find nowhere else in the world. And he's all excited, and he goes on and on and on and on. And you look at the again and say, dude, wake up. What's a big deal, you know? I'm going to come back, he says. I'll come back to Canada. And then I'll tour Canada. I mean, I live here. I'll tour Canada. I'll buy, I'll, I'll buy a yellow knife and a moose jaw, whatever that is. 
To which you just shake your head and you say, man, Jeff, your American is showing. <laughs> you would shake him and you'd say, dude, wake up. Do you realize that your dear wife is going to be a mom? Do you realize that you will be a dad? What on earth are you thinking about going and touring the world for a year and your wife will be delivering in the summer? What are you thinking? What's the big deal? You'd say, you will be a parent. See, that's the point. The point here is, see, Paul has been unpacking in his letter. And he's told us the gospel. So from Romans chapter 3 all the way to Romans 11, chapter 11, he's been unpacking the gospel, telling us, hey, this is what the gospel is. Chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, what's the mercy? This gospel, therefore, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And then he'll begin to unpack what that means. And basically from chapter 12 all the way to chapter 13, verse 10, last week's passage, he's talking about love, 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 love. So for example, chapter 12, verse 9, love must be sincere. 12, 10, be devoted to one another in love. For, um, 12, 14, love, no, bless those who persecute you. This is a loving act. You're blessing those who persecute you. 12.17, do not repay evil for evil. Why? Because you love others. 12.19, do not revenge. Why? Because you love the other. 12.20, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Thirsty, give him to drink. Why? Because you love. 13.8, owe no one anything except the debt of love. So he's been talking love, 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 love. These are the basic components of the gospel life now. Love, love, love. So you may, you may be listening to Paul and saying, hey, okay, so Paul, why should I love my neighbor? Because sometimes my neighbor is hard to love. Sometimes my neighbor is hard to love. So I'll give you an example. There's a friend of mine who was a pastor many years ago. And what happened to him was he was at work during the week. He had kissed his wife and his two beautiful little children goodbye that morning. Kids were under five. Drives to work, in the office meeting people, planning the weekend service, writing his sermon and so on. And then uh, he goes back home in the evening. And then as he's pulling up his driveway, he realizes, oh, our van is not there. Oh, maybe she's gone to a friend's, or maybe she's gone to the store, whatever. Okay, so he comes in, he settles. It's now coming to 6 p.m. Wife is not back home. There are no cell phones back in the day. He's wondering, where, where is she? And then the doorbell rings, and then he goes to the doorbell, and he finds two policemen there. And they ask him his name, and he confirms. And then he says, well, we have terrible news. What's the news? Your wife and your two kids have been killed in a fatal car crash. His wife, his two kids, his world shattered. He's a pastor of a church, small church. His world is shattered. And obviously, everybody gets to hear the news, pastor so-and-so, you know, his family is gone and all that. And then the leadership of the church comes a couple of weeks later and tells him, dude, so, you know, your, your wife is dead, and obviously now you're back to a single person. So, you know, we used to pay you this much. Now we will pay you this because you don't have a family anymore. What is this, the guy supposed to think now? 
What would you think? He's just lost his family. And now because he's lost his family, there are others in the church who are now thinking, oh, this is a way now for us to at least increase our budget a little bit. So let's reduce his paycheck by a third. So of course he leaves because he's so hurt that in the midst of his darkest day, he is really hurt and he leaves. You know, most of you will be like so angry at this church. And now Paul is saying, hey, you need to love them. How am I supposed to love them? What about those who hurt you, those who speak evil about you, those who say nasty things about you, those who take, take things that you do for granted? No thanks, nothing. How are you supposed to love them? Paul's response is this. Verse 11, the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation, Jesus coming back again, our salvation is nearer now than you first believed. The night is nearly gone and the day is here. So Paul is saying, hey, consider the time. Consider this in-between time. What is the in-between time that he's talking about here? The night is nearly over. What's the night? This is the season of the, the age where sin is just tearing astray from people. Where people are loving sin more than they are loving God. They are loving the wrong things too much. Where Satan seems to have a hold on people. Yeah, that age is nearly done. That's the night. And he says also the day is almost here. What's the day when Jesus will come back again and make all things new? So, dear Christian, what is really bothering you right now? What is the struggle and the challenge you're facing right now? It could be illness. It could be anger because someone totally, totally hurt you deeply. It could be broken relationships. And so we, have, we walk with this huge weight on our shoulders, in our hearts, and yet the scriptures remind us, hey, Christ is coming back. The age is almost done. I'll give you an example. So let's say you are struggling with financial resources. You really don't have your, you're drowning in debt. And maybe it wasn't your fault that you're in debt. You tried a business venture that was so promising and then the market turned. And you lost it all. And now you're really, really struggling and then you realize that Auntie Joanne, who passed away, left you a massive inheritance that will solve all your financial problems. But you're not going to get the money right now. You'll have to go through the processes and so on and so forth. By the time you get it all, assets liquidated and so on. By the time you get your share of her inheritance, it'll be around spring break, around Easter next year. But now you're still in November, it's Easter next year. How would you live your life knowing, guaranteed, that all your debt, every single cent you owe will be taken care of once the money comes through? How would you live your life? See, the people who would have angered you, yeah, they would have angered you, but that issue would be so small in your mind. Why? Because you're looking forward to this glorious day when all your debts will be paid, right? The animosity you are having with your neighbor, 
the fights that you are having, the strife that was in there, the anxiety that was there, will be no one now. Are you still struggling today? Yes. Is the bank still calling? Yes. You're still wondering, am I going to make enough to buy milk for my family? You will still be struggling, but you will look at your problem in new light through the lens of, hey, the money's coming. The money is coming. You'll have a different perspective. Question, dear Christian, today, are you asleep or are you awake? When you look at the challenges in your life, are you looking at those challenges through the lens of the imminent return of Christ? Do you realize that the age of darkness is almost coming to an end and that Christ is coming back again? Yeah. You see, it's not just enough to understand the times. We must also live accordingly. We must live our lives accordingly. So yes, know that you're in, the, in, the, in between times here, but you must live your life accordingly. That's why point number two is smarten up. Verse 12, the night is nearly over, the day is almost here, so let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, and not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. So my son, uh, I love my son dearly. So last year, he was in grade eight. So he begins grade eight in September, and he's doing really well. He's very gifted in math. So he's doing math and everything, and math comes easy for this kid. So he's just getting A's and A's and A's. He's just acing all the tests and things like that, him and a few friends of his. So the teacher decided, okay, coming towards December, hey, guys, would you be willing because you're really smart and it seems like grade eight math is simple and easy for you, would you like to study and then challenge the exam? And if you pass the exam, you'll have passed grade eight math. So my son will say, oh sure, I'll, I'll be in it. And so he does this thing and he aces it. So of course I'm a proud dad, you're my son. He's clever. Come January. So the teacher says, okay, so during the math block, you just can't sit around doing nothing. So you have to sign up for an online school and start doing grade nine math. So during math block, you can go to the library and keep doing grade nine math and so on. So I was very proud, we signed him in and all that stuff. So it's grade nine math, right? So January goes by, hey, how you doing? I'm doing great. February, March, how you doing? Oh yeah, I'm just doing my, my, my stuff and all that I'm asking. How you doing? Yeah, I'm doing okay. Spring break rolls around, he's busy doing what? Oh, there is a game called Minecraft. <laughs> and there's a game called Fortnite and another one called Roblox. <laughs> this kid was just tunnel vision on these three games. Spring break is done, now we're in April. So I ask him, hey son, how are you doing in your, in your tests? 
Ah, uh, yeah, I'm still, I'm still working on it. I'm still, okay, bring, bring your work, let daddy see. Now, I should have been smarter to ask this question in February. So he, bring your work. So, okay, so I begin to look and I say, okay, so when is this due? Oh, you know, I'm supposed to do this and that. And I realize we're in April. So you have May and June and you have to finish June 15th. Son, you will not finish this. And he's realizing, yeah, it's kind of long. So what have you been doing? Well, Minecraft and Fortnite and Roblox. Really? Yep. Okay, son, so this is what's going to happen. Son, you will ha- you're a student. You need to act like one, son. You will need to put aside. You will need to cast off. You will need to give up Minecraft. You will need to cast off and give up Roblox and Fortnite. You will need to strive to wrestle, to exert yourself so that you may finish the course. You need to smarten up, boy. Was the conversation I had to have my boy. Now he passed. I mean, he's clever. (laughs) But he had to put aside, he had to cast off. He had to give up. You see, according to Paul, it's not enough. It's not enough for you and I to understand that we are in between times here. Yes, Jesus has saved you. And yes, you've been cleansed and you're a Christian. And yes, Jesus is coming back again. That knowledge is not enough. There's something more that is required of you. You see, the aim of our enemy is not just to scare you. The temptations that Satan will bring are not just meant to scare you. They're meant to lull you into this glitzy, entertainment-saturated sleep so that you don't follow Christ. This is the tactic that he will use. So what Paul will say then in verse 13 is, hey, remember, the night nearly over. The day almost here. So, put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. So, two things that the Christian needs to do. One, put aside. This putting aside is like casting off. It's like giving up. Put aside the deeds of the flesh. See, they go from bad to worse. So, Carousing, you know, you're busy having drinks and cheering and it's alcohol and it's flowing. Carousing leads to what? Drunkenness. Or sexual immorality, yes, it's there. We are watching shows we shouldn't watch. We are doing things with people we shouldn't be doing. And then all of a sudden, it now leads to debauchery. Debauchery, this is unharnessed, unleashed, unrestrained passion where... You're so engaged in your sexual immorality, you don't even feel bad about what you're doing. Dissension, this is arguing and quarreling with one another, which leads now to what? Jealousy. Paul is saying here, put that aside, cast it off, give it up. And put on the armor of light. It's interesting You may wonder, what is the armor of light? We'll talk about that in a bit. But, but, it's interesting that he will say armor. Put on the armor. Now, would you put on an armor to the beach? 
Hey, I have my armor. Let's go to the beach. Would you do that? No, you wouldn't put on an armor to the beach. You wouldn't put on an armor to go for holidays. You wouldn't put on an armor to go to a party. You wouldn't do any of these things. You'd put on an armor to go where? To fight. There is a fight. There's a war. So Paul here is saying, hey, the night is nearly over. Day almost here. Put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently. You see, Jesus, Jesus also viewed our life, our walk as a battle, just like Paul. When Paul is using the word armor here, Jesus would also view our life on earth as a fight. So Jesus in Luke chapter 13, Luke 13 verse 23 and 24, someone came to him and said, Lord, will those who are saved be few? Very interesting question. Will those who are saved be few? And he, Jesus, said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. So the, the, the word I want to focus on here is strive. This is coming from the lips of Jesus. Strive to enter through the narrow door. In other words, agonize to enter. The image, the image that um, I'd like to leave you here to, to, to really understand the word strive is um, when the Olympics come around, I love to watch various sports. Wrestling is one of them. Now you see these wrestlers coming and, and, and they begin to wrestle one another. What's going on there? They're both agonizing, trying to pin the other, trying to hold the other person into submission. And it is a fight. They're wrestling and tussling and wrestling and they're each so vigilant about the other's move. If one is slack, the other one uses that as uh, an advantage. And they're tussling and tussling and wrestling and tussling. There's an agonizing going on there. There's a fight that's going on. See, that's the image. When we think about sin, sin wants to have you. Sin wants to control you. And the scriptures will say, you need to fight this. You need to agonize. You need to wrestle this thing. You need to exert yourself and win. Otherwise, sin will have you. Sin will have you. You will need to be vigilant. You'll need to be alert. You need to be awake. Why? Because your opponent is not going to go away easy. Put another way. Paul. Listen to the Apostle Paul elsewhere, writing to the, uh, to the Colossian church. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 to 10. This is what Paul says. Now hear the words of Paul. He will say, since then, this is Colossians 3, 1 to 10. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. You're a Christian now. Raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Verse 2. Set your mind. So there is a setting that's happening here. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden in, with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, when he comes, second coming, 
then you will also appear with him in glory. Verse 5. So in light of Christ's return, so that you may appear in glory with him, verse 5, put to death therefore, put to death therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly, uh, to your earthly nature, and then he names them, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on your new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge which is being reviewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Put to death. For those who go hunting and you're trying to harvest an animal and you don't actually get your shot accurately but the animal is wounded and it's laying there, how easy is it to put to death this thing? There is a fight because it wants to live. The sin in your life wants to live. It wants to live on. And the scriptures will say, you have to put to death the deeds of the flesh. Question, dear Christian, how, how engaged are you in this fight? Are you engaged or are you passive in it? You see, if we can be honest, many of us are passive. To our shame, we are passive. And that's why this text is so key for us today. Smarten up. It's not enough just to be aware that Christ will come back again. You and I, we are Christ followers. Therefore, we need to strive. We need to agonize to live that way. We need to put aside, cast aside, give up, put to death the deeds of the flesh. We have to. We need to strive to be on mission. So the question then is, how do we do this? Final point. Dress up. Dress up. Verse 14. Rather, he would say, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of of the flesh. It's interesting here where he will say, Now clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 12, he said, Put aside the deeds of, the, um, of uh, darkness and put on the armor of light. So there is this armor of light. And then he will say here, Clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus. So clothing yourself with the Lord Jesus is the armor of light here. This is more than just imitating. Christ's character. So I'll give you an example. Halloween was just recently, right? And so there were many kids who came to my door, as I'm sure came to many of your doors, and knocking and wanting a trick or a treat and all that. They want candy, and these kids would have dressed up all sorts of ways. So some will have dressed up, hey, you know, I'm Elsa, and another, oh, I'm Jack Sparrow, I'm another, I'm whoever, right? So these kids would have dressed up in their costumes, 
And what are they trying to do? They're trying to pretend to be what they're not. So she's trying to be Elsa, and she'll try and sing and all that stuff, and this will be Jack Sparrow trying, and this is a pirate, and this is a ghost, and whatever else, right? They're all pretending. There's a difference between a child who is dressed up on Halloween and a child who's now seated next to mommy as mommy is doing her makeup and this little girl is trying to imitate mom. Looking at mom and then she's trying and mom is just getting a kick out of this little one trying to put mascara on and putting it all over the place and mommy's just howling as she's putting. What is this kid trying to do here? Is the kid trying to pretend to be like mom or does the kid really want to be like mom? See, I remember growing up, I was doing the same thing with my dad's things. Where I would go and I would try on my dad's jacket and it would be so big. And I'd put on his suit and his tie and I'll try and shave. And that was an interesting story because I didn't have a mustache. Of course, I'm young, so I decided to shave my eyebrows. That was funny, but anyway. <laughs> yeah, that was, that's a story for another day. So I'm trying, kids are trying, are trying so hard to be like their parents, to emulate them. It's, it's not just copying behavior. There is more going on here. There is this close personal fellowship that's happening between mom and daughter, son and father. As these kids are trying to be like their parents. So when, when Paul is writing here, you know, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ, someone in the ancient world would, would think of, hey, you know what, well, these are actors. So if you're an actor and you really want to, 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 to wear your role well, you need to study who it is that you're trying to emulate. And the same thing happens today. So I'm thinking about Will Smith, who is um, an actor and he's done many, many shows. There was, there was one... Um, one movie he did called Ali, and he was trying to um, play Muhammad Ali, the boxer. And so I was watching this show, and then you watch the credits after, and there's a story about how he was able to emulate Ali, and how he said he spent so many hours with Ali watching him and watching video and asking questions and really getting into the mind of this man so that he can portray him well on the screen. And many good actors who win Oscars do this. If they are acting as someone who is a senior citizen who is struggling, they'll go and stay in a home and watch seniors and try and get into their world. What are their fears? What are their joys? What are their memories? How do they move about? What are their aches, their pains, their everything? So that you can really walk into that, become the person you need to be for this show. So in other words, for the Christian, we need to be so close with Jesus to the end of the day where you lose yourself so that you may be like him. Him. That is putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. So you may ask this question, so how does this armor of light, this putting on Jesus, help me? How does it help me wrestle, strive, put aside the deeds of the flesh? That's a good question. First, it begins with you just, it's, it's a deliberate, conscious acceptance of the Lordship of Christ in your life. This conscious, deliberate acceptance that Jesus is Lord, you're not. And this means your motives, your desires, your deeds, 
all under his control. So in other words, Christ is the one who's directing your thinking. Christ is the one who's directing your conduct. Which would lead then to, you would put your trust in him. Why? Because you would realize that Christ is your protection. Remember, he said, I am sending you like sheep among wolves. So if a sheep goes, man, that sheep needs protection. Yeah, Christ is your protection. He, you would hope in him. Why? Because he is the supplier. He's the supplier of your future needs. You will need to love him. Why? Because you will realize that he is your supreme treasure. He's the one who will be able to give you the joy that you would be seeking in your drunkenness, in your debauchery. In your jealousy, you're seeking for something that will satisfy. And the satisfaction you're looking for will not be found there. Will only be found in Christ. He becomes your treasure. Why? Because of what he did for you on the cross. But then how do I make Christ my trust? How do I make Christ my hope? How do I make him my treasure? Good question. In order to trust Christ, oh, you would need to listen to his word. You need to listen to this. Take time to listen to what this word says about him. Over time, you'll begin to see who he is, that he can be trusted. Second, how do I hope in him? Well, you begin to remember the promises he's made in regard to you. Has he ever let you down? Has he ever promised and failed to fulfill in, at every turn, at any turn? Has he? In order for him to be your treasure, then you will need to recall, call to mind the beauty of Christ. What did Jesus do for you on the cross? What did he do for you on the cross? When you realize that, hey, you know what? Many Christians today live their Christian lives as though, as though they're in foster care. That God is his foster parent. I need to behave because if I don't behave, he'll kick me out. And yet the scriptures will say, no, Christ has adopted you. Meaning, he has paid every, every fee, every cost required to have you as a son. And once you've been adopted into God's family, there is no way you'll be kicked out. No way you'll be kicked out. You're a son now. You see, in the ancient world, when you're talking about adoption, in the ancient world, when someone had so much wealth, but they didn't have any heir... To, to, uh, to, to get the inheritance, this person would now begin to adopt an adult. So in the ancient world, they did not adopt kids. They adopted adults who then would take the, the wealth. So the person being adopted, if they, had, if they had a debt, if they had a miserable life, well, guess what? The wealthy person has adopted you. Papers are signed. Your debt is gone like that. Your name becomes the name of the person who adopted you, and your life changes forever. And adoption in the ancient world, irreversible. This is what Jesus has done for you. See, the more you read and study what Jesus Christ has done for you, he becomes your treasure. Why? Because you're beginning to recall the beauty of Christ in your life, right? You dress up, you wear Christ, 
He becomes your hope. He becomes your trust. You begin to love him. You allow him to direct your thinking, to direct your conduct, and therefore, you will not, you will not be thinking about how to gratify the desires of your flesh because you realize that Christ is your supreme joy. Right. You see, there are many conversations that are had by parents who are about to get kids. First-time parent, they'll invite you over. They'll be talking about all sorts of things. But somewhere in that conversation, they'll be talking about the baby who's to come. Every single new first-time parent, any conversation you have with them, somewhere they will bring a baby. Question. Jesus Christ is coming back. What are you talking about? What are you doing about it? Let us pray. In light of your imminent return, Lord, how we pray, the Father, you would help us to, to wake up and realize that we are in between times and not to allow the pleasures of the world to cloud us, Father. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to smarten up, to realize just knowing Jesus is coming back is not enough. We need to live our lives accordingly. We need to put to death the deeds of the flesh. We need to set them aside. We need to give them up, whatever they are, Father. That, Lord, we need to realize we are in a fight. But Lord, we thank you that we are not alone in this fight. That we need to clothe ourselves with you. That as we live our lives in a manner worthy of you, submitting ourselves to you. That Lord, you'd grant us victory. And that we would live our lives in a manner that would be pleasing to you. And therefore drawing others to you. May our light so shine before men, Lord, that they may see our good works and come to saving faith, see our good works and give you glory. Help us in these things, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.